Latoya. Guess who's in the house? It's Latoya. Ah, 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 ah. Ooh, 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 ooh. Ah, 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 ah. Ooh, 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 ooh. Latoya's in the house. What's up? What's up? What's up, guys? Welcome back to yet another episode of The Analog Girl. This is your podcast for your 30-somethings and your 40-somethings. And we are on a quest, y'all. We are always on a quest to get our analog lives in this digital-driven world. And the name analog rang true for us yesterday. When you are hearing this, it might be a week from now. So let's just say last week we had an issue with Facebook and Instagram being shut down and I mean, I think it just gives you an opportunity to really be like, wow, I really be in the digital space a lot. Like we really put a lot of faith in the digital space a lot. And we always have to be grounded every now and again and come back to that analog life, come back to that analog um, lifestyle. You know what I mean? That chill, a little more slow paced, a little more aware space if that makes any sense but we always got to come back to the analog life y'all you know what I'm saying like that is just the foundation that is just where we started this is where we find a lot of peace this is where we find a lot of clarity this is where we probably find a lot of answers to questions that we have been asking so not to make the whole Facebook Instagram thing shut down or whatever so deep but Just saying, sometimes we got to get our analog lives in this digital driven world. You like how I did that, right? I just, you know, segued it on and back. But how y'all doing? I hope y'all doing all right. I hope this uh, podcast finds you well. I hope it finds your anxiety levels low to non-existent. And if not, you know, we're going to do our little breathing techniques and the anxiety check-in. But a few little things I want to talk about before we get into the check-in. Um, listen, listen, by now my book is released, everything, all formats of my book, Lose the Thoughts, Keep the Mind, How to Stop Thinking, oh, How to Stop Overthinking, Overthinking. It's a self-help book, y'all. It is out. It is live. It is on Amazon. It is on Audible. It is on iBooks. You can get it literally anywhere. If you know someone who speaks Spanish, they can also get the audible in Spanish. I believe there's other languages. I have to figure that out. I have to go see, but it is available worldwide. The book is live, y'all. The book is available for you to buy and to read or to listen I put a lot of effort into this. I wanted to be able to give you guys resources. You guys reach out to me. Uh, Many of y'all reach out to me and asking me questions and asking me how did I get through depersonalization? How do I work through um, panic attacks? And how do I work through battles of anxiety? And a lot of the times I I try to give y'all, you know, points or whatever, but I just figure, you know, why not just put this in a book and where I can just guide everybody or lead everybody right to this book that gives you tangible examples to get you tangible results in this journey of healing and healing our souls. 
and in healing our spirits. So please, y'all, support your girl. Go out there, get the book. Let me know how you like it. Let me know if you don't like it. Let me know, you know, what can I do better, if anything? You know, because I'm not an, this is my first time writing. I'm not a professional writer. So, you know, I welcome everything because this obviously would not be the end of me doing any books. I'm trying to put another one out there. So, yeah, let's 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 talk about that. Hit me up. Let me know what you think. Okay, and go get that book, y'all. Support your girl. You can also check out um, a lot of other information about the Analog Girl and the Analog Girl community. Building up that community more and more on theanaloggirl.com. I do have a live chat feature on the website where you, if you want to chat with me, if you have any questions, if you have anything that you want to reach out to me about in live time, you can hit me up on the chat there. Um, or you can follow me on Instagram, the.analoggirl, um, and just see what's going on in my world. All right. So let's just get into this anxiety check in and talk about real life stuff real quick. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Alrighty. Well, I hope your anxiety levels are low to non-existent. And if they're not, let's do our quick breathing exercise to rein us in. Give us a little zen. <laughs> Calm us down. Cause I too have been feeling a little been feeling a little interesting um the past couple of days. So let's do some exercises, some breathing exercises. Roll your shoulders back a couple of times, roll your, roll your shoulders forward a couple of times, um, you know, do a little stretch because that always feels good. Ooh, that feels good to me. It's almost going to make me yawn. <laughs> um, so let's just breathe in on the four count, um, hold on the four count and then breathe out to the four, four count. I usually breathe in through the nose and then breathe out through the mouth. You can do all nose or all mouth. It doesn't matter. Um, for me, it's a lot more comfortable to do in through the nose, hold out through the mouth. So let's just go one, two, three, and through the nose. Hold it. And then out through the mouth. One more time, breathe in through the nose. Hold it. And then breathe out through the mouth. Yeah, I mean, doesn't it feel good? It feels good to me. Let's just do it one more time. In through the nose. Hold it. And then breathe out through the mouth. Mm-hmm. And you can swing your head from side to side or like just stretch your neck out and it just releases, it temporarily releases some stress um, right away and calms you down and gets the blood pressure to some normal levels, you know? So yeah, anxiety checking y'all. Mm, let's see, let's see, let's see, let's see what we're going to talk about today. Where am I? Where am I at? So I'm, I'm in between emotions and I don't know what it means. I'm excited that I'm launching this book. Um, I'm also like, 
damn, is anybody going to buy the book? (laughs) I invested a lot of money in this. Is this going to work? So I'm in that space. And then I'm also in a space of some unknown sadness. So um, I think that's what I want to talk to you guys about is like when you're dealing with like unknown sadness or some like this like wave of depression that happens. And I can't even say that it's my cycle because y'all know I don't even have a cycle no more. (laughs) So um, I don't know, you know, I can't say pinpoint what it is. It could be various things. It could be the lack of a dating life that I have. It could be (laughs) weather changing. It could be, yeah, it could be seasonal or situational or just the fact that I'm exhausted and I'm overwhelmed and I've just been doing a lot of work on Analog Girl and the book and, you know, it's essentially kind of been doing it alone. I've had some help, um, but it's just been me and God, really, a lot of this. So I think that it's warranted that I would feel a little off, you know, Um, and I think that when you're in a place of creating Um, in a place of entrepreneurship or, you know, trying to fulfill your life's purpose, I think you're always going to hit these roadblocks of emotions. You're always going to um, question things and have to stay firm or stand, stand strong on faith. That's when your faith comes into play, when you're really embarking on these spiritual journeys and these purpose-filled journeys this is the true testament of faith for us um so i i do believe that i'm in that kind of space so what i've been doing cuz like i'm just thinking here i know i'm just got a little quiet but i was just thinking like how we just can't control emotions you know what i mean but what we can control is how we react to the emotions. So what I've been trying to do is control how I'm reacting to these emotions. And what I've been doing these past couple of days is I talk a lot about non-resistance. I talk about that a lot in the book and how we have to take the path of least resistance. Um, This is, if you're a, a regular on the show, you know that I talk a regular listener to the show, you know that I talk about this often. So I was in a place this weekend of accepting this, embracing the sadness, whatever it may mean, whyever it is coming up, for whatever reason it's coming up for me, I'm embracing it. I'm not wallowing in it and I'm not having a pity party, but I'm embracing the feeling. I'm feeling it all the way through. I'm not running from it. Um, I'm not scared of it. And I know that I won't always feel like this. So I keep that in mind, knowing this is not always going to be, I'm not going to always feel like this. I have no idea why I'm feeling sad, but what I'm going to do is embrace these feelings, know that I'm feeling sad, admit to myself that I'm feeling sad, Like, I'm not going to be in denial about it. And I'm not going to resist this sadness. And I feel like that helps me even more than when I used to, oh, I'm sad. I'm going to have me some wine and I'm just going to distract myself. I'm going to forget all about it. And, you know, 
we do have to distract ourselves with thoughts and things like that. But before you get into a place of exercising those muscles of distraction, when you are in the whole battlefield of the mind and the battlefield of the thoughts, you do beforehand have to be in a place of acceptance to know this is where I'm at. This is how I'm feeling. I embrace this. I know th- I know that this is happening. I'm not ashamed of being this. I'm not fearful of this anymore. It is what it is. I just feel sad. I'm not blaming anybody else for it. It might be a situational thing where someone else did something to make you sad, but we are releasing all of that. We are just embracing why we feel sad. We're not blaming this on anybody else. And then we start to um, accept it. And then we can get into how are we going to distract ourselves or how are we going to reprogram our minds um, in the midst of this sadness. So that's what I've been doing. And I know that sounds like a lot, but it's pretty simple in in the sense of, I say it's pretty simple because it is, it's just a simple thing, just acceptance, acceptance, non-resistance, and then reprogramming your mind. And we are going to forever be on this journey of reprogramming our minds, rewiring our thoughts, rethinking a thought disposing of a negative thought, disposing of that negative self-talk. We're constantly going to be on this journey. So like, don't be discouraged. Like, oh, oh my God. It's like, how many times do I got to reprogram my mind? Or how many times do I have to think, uh, rethink something like this shit is getting on my nerves. Like I understand. And I feel that way too. And it is an exhausting road of healing our souls and, and holistic well-being. But as long as you know that we are forever going to be students of this healing journey and we're forever going to be learning and we're forever going to be exercising these muscles you can't give up just like we can't stop working out in the gym because if we do we're gonna be fat (laughs) you can't just eat crab legs all day long and not go to the gym you know what I'm saying like that's what I have to tell myself so it's the same thing like we have to keep at this And these are the words of encouragement I've been giving myself, like, girl, this is a forever journey. We are forever students in this, you know, don't beat yourself up for even feeling sad and embrace this sadness. And now let's just reprogram our thoughts and start to do things that don't make us sad. Does that make any sense to y'all? I hope it does. And, you know. Here's to us forever learning, y'all, forever, ever learning on this healing journey. It's time to get into why we all came. It's time for us to get into our very new segment that I hope to continue to do. Don't ask me, ask a therapist. And today we have Dr. Aquia. She is a beautiful, beautiful woman who is also a therapist, licensed therapist, y'all, okay? Um, We are not playing these games. (laughs) Dr. Akia is from Philadelphia. No, she's born in California, and I believe she resides in Philadelphia now. 
And she has taken it upon herself to come on the Analog Girl and answer some questions for us. Now, if you do follow me on Instagram, you know that I had asked you guys, like, if you could ask a therapist anything, what would you ask them? I did that for a reason because I wanted to have questions to ask Dr. Aquia when she came to the show. We had some really good questions that were sent in by you guys and we are going to answer them today and we're also going to talk about something I never ever talked about before and that is how I oftentimes struggle with survivor's guilt so if you want to get into that conversation and hear a little more and then hear some beautiful words of encouragement and therapeutic words okay because y'all got to listen I see y'all got to listen to how calming Dr. Aquia's voice is. She is really a therapist that I think should be sought after, to be quite honest. So let's get into this conversation. And I hope you guys find this as therapeutic and warming as I did. Okay, so we're going to start this new segment. This new segment is Don't Ask Me, Ask a Therapist, because I don't have the answers for you guys. So we have, and it's Dr. Quia. I want to make sure I'm saying it right. Am I saying it correctly? Yes, Dr. Aquia. So it's Dr. Aquia, and we want to be clear, because y'all know I will mispronounce everything. So I want to be clear, it's Dr. Aquia, and she has agreed to come and answer some questions for us because I always like to tell you guys I am not a therapist I am not a doctor I did not go to school for this this whole podcast is all about my experiences and what has helped me and I hope to share that with you and share the resources that I found so that it can help you so don't ask me ask a therapist so Dr. Kriev you want to just tell us a little bit about yourself and then we can get into starting to ask some questions or answer some questions at rather yes I want to start by thanking you for what you do it is it takes courage to share your story your experience to be vulnerable in public spaces and we are better for it and so thank you for your contribution Well, thank you. Uh, I appreciate that. And you're very welcome. You're very welcome. And I'm just so happy that we connected. It's always wonderful to see another face like mine in this community because, you know, the wellness community is inundated with white privilege. So I'm just always very, very appreciative and grateful and honored when I can connect with another woman that looks like me. So thank you. (laughs) So much love. So much love. Well, I am I am Dr. Quia Boatin, and I'm a licensed psychotherapist in the city of Philadelphia, but also do coaching in California, where my home is. I've been a therapist for just under 15 years and have worked with several different people and concerns. Right now, my private practice work with individuals and couples. I do my best to help people to better understand themselves, to listen to their intuition, to seek a better end with their intuition as guide and hopefully live an intentional, authentic life. And so I find it a privilege to be able to sit and hear a firsthand account of people's stories and triumphs and pain and tragedy. And so that is what I do. I do that in private spaces. And then also in the public, I'm a media expert and mental health expert where I try to offer information about how we can live better in the media. Amazing. You're doing so much. And I love it. (laughs) 
So we're just gonna we're just gonna hop right on in. You know, we're not gonna waste anybody's time. A while back, I asked some questions to people on my social media and to just people that I connect with. If they could ask one question to a therapist, what would that question be? I got so many questions. I tried to give you the questions that where a lot of them kind of were the same. So <laughs> I'm hoping that with this segment, we're able to reach everyone who submitted questions and be able to answer one or if not one two or three or if not two or three at least one of the points that people have submitted so the first question is how do I find motivation when I'm so depressed that's a really good question and it's often so hard (laughs) it is it is so very hard the thing that we know to do is the very thing that's impaired and we can't do sometimes right yeah well it's often believed that negative reinforcement gets the best results as it pertains to like motivation like we see that grind culture we see the wake up and hustle we see the you can do better and oftentimes we hear that even growing up that negative reinforcement like whipping yourself into shape is really helpful helpful to us. But what we know in psychology that the biggest motivational factor in depression is and in improving motivation is self-compassion. It's when we when we're feeling depressed, when we're feeling low mood, we're feeling low motivation, sadness and concentration issues, what can turn that around is loving ourselves. Yeah. So, you know, what really turns around that deep pain that we're in is loving ourselves well in the midst of that pain. And so for this reason, if you're feeling depressed, lean into loving yourself, seeking to understand, seeking to better get a sense of what is weighing heavy on me right now. And how can I pour as much love and compassion and understanding into that place as possible? And we know that that love and compassion motivates us when we feel loved, when we feel cared for, when we feel seen, it empowers us. And so that might be something that could be a first start to feeling more motivated. I would agree. It's the compassion and saying what I like to do, though, when I get in that space is give myself all the time I need. So if I need to be in my bed and watch A Different World on reruns and eat ice cream, then I feel like I need to do that. But also knowing that we can't stay there, you know, like I'm also telling myself, like, we can't stay there. We could do this for a couple of days. But after that, come on, girl, get up, you know, and just being at peace with being sad or being at peace with feeling down or feeling overwhelmed or just feeling like I don't even know what I'm feeling you know what I mean so just being with at peace with that is the way that I have extended self or extended love to myself yes yes it changes the game it does It, it really you know we could talk about all of the things that people talk about that are helpful educate you know exercise you know having self-affirmation we can talk about all these <laughs> but if we don't have that sense of when my brain leans towards guilt i inject love if we don't have that no matter what we do we will continue to feel that weight and it will continue to be our fault internally our brain will tell us that right and so changing that narrative internally is the most powerful thing because it really just allows you to be released to have the feeling, let the feeling take its course, and then we can move forward. 
Oh my gosh. And you just talk so like, it's like I'm on a resort. I see <laughs> sparkles and sun and peace and everything. Your voice is so calming and soothing. This is wonderful. Okay. So I hope that answers that question for you guys out there. It is very important that we give ourselves compassion in the times of feeling depressed and feeling sad. And as Dr. Kuya said, it's the self-compassion that might help us to get motivated and push through and come out of that. So number two, this was kind of funny to me and I'm not laughing at the person who said it because this is the shit that I do. It's real. It's real. It's real. <laughs> like I do this kind of stuff and then I'll be like, why did I do that? So this question is, I, the client lied to you, the therapist. How do I bounce back from that? And I was like talking to uh, my friend and she was like, nah, yeah, like that's a thing. And I'm like, and you would think that because you're paying this person or you're going to this therapist and you're wanting to, you're supposed to go there and hash everything out and it's doctor patient privilege and they're not going to judge you because they've been trained all this, all these years to not judge you and make this a safe space. And you still get in there and you're like, yeah, I'm not telling my therapist that. And I remember when I first started with my therapist, I had unleashed everything on her. And then afterwards, I was like, I shouldn't have told her because I think she hates me now or I think that she thinks bad of me. So because y'all are trained to not have emotion in, in your face, really, or, you know, like, I know y'all are trained on how to, what your body language should be when people are telling stories and stuff like that. So, but I still wasn't comprehending that. And I was just like, she's not gonna, now she's judging me for what I shared with her. And so the next time we talk, I was very, I started to lie. <laughs> I started to lie. So I don't lie anymore. But, you know, when we first started, I was like shameful to and I didn't want to share those things. So what do you say to this person who said, how does she bounce back when she lied to her therapist? Yeah. First of all, this is the most real <laughs> question <laughs> that we could ever ask and the most potential that we can get into truth and authenticity. Right. I'll tell you specifically is that what your body and your brain did was that you did the most natural thing when you felt safe, you told the truth. But what happened is your training based on all the relationships that you've experienced in the past also kicked in to tell you that this is not okay. When you tell the truth, something bad happens. And so that shame kicks in, that shame takes over as the truth. And now we begin to try to circle back and lie. Lying looks like concealing ourselves, protecting ourselves, defending ourselves, right? And so there was this natural process that even though the circumstance and person changed in front of you, how you remember telling the truth remained the same based on history. And so what I would tell this person is, the average person lies to their therapist. Sorry to break the news to you. This really? is one of the most common things that happens. It's extremely normal. Now, can you tell, like, when you're in a session and you can tell when we're lying, are you guys trained to, or you don't do your dress it or, you know what I'm saying? Like, what do you do? It depends on the work and what's happening, right? Yeah. But so sometimes you can tell that there's something underneath what's going on, right? That the truth is pretty clear. It's, it's quiet. It's really 
without lots of ridges, right? So, so you can tell when there's something happening, but that's based on instinct, I would say, more than it is on training, intuition, and like sitting in presence and recognizing when the truth, the, the sound of the truth versus the sound of a lie, energy-wise as well, is really what what I go off of. And how would it best serve the treatment to call that out, to not call that out, to learn more about it, to really seek into what the patient needs in the moment. So it really kind of depends on the person, but the average person does it. It's super common. Why is it common? Because vulnerability is one of the most universally challenging things that we could ever do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. To the degree that we are vulnerable in therapy, which is a unique form of vulnerability where hopefully all of our stuff is in one place, it triggers the space within us where we might be self-protective of that, right? And so lies just, again, help us to maybe pull some of the leaves over ourselves when we feel vulnerable, when we feel naked. And so I would say, how do we bounce back? It's really do some deeper reflection around why you felt it was necessary to lie in order to protect yourself? Can it be a part of your therapeutic revelation, possibly, to better understand why it felt it was, imp- it was important to lie? And then after that reflection, when you feel safe enough to disclose, you talk to your therapist about the arc of your discovery, right? What you learned about the process, what you felt in the moment, why you sense it was important to lie. What's the story that you told yourself about this person, their judgment, their expectation of you, whatever it is that comes up. And then you can use that as such a good landing space for great therapy work moving forward. Yeah, I think that is great. And that's something that helps me too as well. Because I often think that I'm oversharing. I feel like that when I'm talking to people, I feel like that with the analog girl, like maybe I'm oversharing and people think this is just not good or I'm a Debbie down or all I want to do is talk about anxiety. Like, you know, so I have all of that. So that negative self-talk that happens when I'm sharing. So that really helps me to try to get to the root of why do I feel so ashamed after I share, but I can't stop talking. (laughs) Like I'm fully transparent, but then afterwards I'm like, I shouldn't have said that, you know? So it's like the complete opposite of the person who asked the question. But I was going to say when this person like starts to assess or figure out why they lied to their therapist and trying to bounce back, do you recommend that they share that with their therapist that they lied? Yeah. If you feel safe. If you feel safe enough to do that, and even if you don't, safety doesn't necessarily mean the absence of risk, right? But it just means that maybe I can really take on the, incur the risk, right? Yeah, I think it's a great place to learn about yourself. We are here to support you learning about yourself. And even if we serve as a base for learning, that's what we've signed up to do right? You cannot hurt us. You can't break us, right? We're extremely pliable and durable, right? And so I would say disclose it, talk about it and find some revelation. Yeah. Cool. So good. I'm just loving this. So next question is, what are some coping mechanisms to get over the loss of someone still alive? Woo! Because this is me. (laughs) And my coping mechanism 
I don't think it's healthy because I ghost and I disappear and I pretend that the person doesn't even exist anymore. (laughs) And I don't even think I process the hurt or anything. It's just like I just compartmentalize and shut it down. So what are some coping mechanisms to help us grieve these people that we lose? Yeah. Well, loss is a, a tough thing. I think loss is a tough thing as as well as connection can be a tough thing, right? And so healing takes time. It doesn't always take confrontation. Sometimes we really do sense that in order to move through something, we have to go through that person, right? And that may not be true, right? And so better understanding how the effects of this loss, effects of this relationship, effects of trauma. Well, I don't know what happened here, but you know, it could be a traumatic situation and coping with the loss because this person is no longer safe, right? And so take time to really heal and understand the effects of the relationship upon you and how it's manifested in you. Develop coping strategies and techniques for that healing process. And that means I often say identify, acknowledge, and then address. So identify what it is that's happening within you, right? The feelings, the emotions, the ways that this has kind of impacted you. Acknowledge it, the severity of it, the ways that it's true. Not gaslighting yourself and saying, oh, it's not a big deal. It's not that deep. Nope. Acknowledge that it's real. It has lasting effects. And then addressing it means how do we respond to this level of loss or trauma? We respond with care, with understanding, with healing balms, however we find that to be within our ritual and our therapeutic work, right? And so in this process, you are doing all of the work to really heal yourself. And then as a result of that, The confrontation does not now serve as the healing agent. You really went through the healing process and the grieving process yourself. So when it comes down to it, if I decide that I want to speak to this person that's still alive, right, about what's happened and caused me to feel like I'm losing them and I need to lose them, (laughs) right, that's just a part of me capping my healing process not a gateway to my healing, right? And so again, take the time to acknowledge the ways the relationship was also good for you. Loss, sometimes we think about all of the ways it's bad, right? And then we are confused about why do I feel so sad? You feel sad because it was good in some way. There were good moments. There was laughter. There was community. There was connection. There was something, right? That was good. Even if you weren't all the way clear about the implications of the bad. Right. And even if it wasn't reciprocated, it felt good for you to give it. Right. And it could be that. Right. It definitely could be that. I often tell people they need to forgive themselves for the ways you did not know that it was harmful, for the ways that you did not know that you needed to really separate yourself, right? Or to the loss of this person was really warranted to you if it was something that you had to do like set a boundary and like separate and then also acknowledge the courage that it to release the relationship it takes a lot of courage to like release this and like so sit in that 
acknowledge it, healing from it. But then, girl, look at you. Like (laughs) you are making some big life changes. Let me just acknowledge with like gratitude and celebration what you're trying to do right now that's really, really hard. You are coping. You are living. You are doing the thing that is important to you, even though it hurts. Yeah, that's so true. And you just are helping me to know that I am on the right path. And clearly I am doing something right in my healing journey because I've gotten to a place now where I was so scared to set boundaries with somebody I was dating. I was constantly being disappointed. I finally set the boundary and was like, this is just not for me. I didn't say you do A, B, and C. I just said, I don't think you have the capacity to give me what I need and what I'm looking for in a partner. So I'm going to bow out gracefully because I emotionally can't take what your schedule is trying to give me. I can't do that. (laughs) I can't do that. And I know that there's someone else out there that will make time for me and will make me a priority along with other priorities that they have in their life and know how to manage that time. So I finally was able to speak up for myself in that manner. And I was so scared to do it. But, and now I still have thoughts like, did I make a mistake? Should I reach out? Should I? And I'm just like, no, you know, like if it's meant to be, God will make a way for that to happen. But I think in this present moment now, I think God really wants us to be able to get in that place that you're saying where we're proud of ourselves for standing up and we're proud of ourselves for setting these boundaries and not letting the process of grief make us feel like we've made a mistake, you know, because you start feeling sad and you're like, oh God, why am I feeling so sad? But it's because you really cared about that person, but that doesn't mean that person is the right person for you. So or right friend, right family member, right partner, anything. So thank you for that, because that was reassuring. That is very reassuring. And it's just a struggle because, you know, everybody's crazy, Dr. Queer. I just really feel like everybody, and I always got to come out on my social media and be like, you know, just want to remind you guys, in case y'all forgot, everybody's crazy. And since 2020, everybody's even crazier. (laughs) (laughs) Like everyone's nuts, yo. Everyone's trying to go, everyone's going through shit. So it's just so much going on. So we've just got to protect our hearts. So that was great. Okay. Next question. What are some coping skills I can use after witnessing a relative have a near-death experience? My heart goes out to you whoever asked this question. (laughs) And I am hoping that it's on the side of your relative being okay. Even though they survived, I hope they're okay. It is one of the most, it's a universal thing for humans to grapple with mortality, to navigate the idea that we are finite, that we have frailty, that we are not invincible or immortal is unsettling to our core. To the core. Yes. Gives me the ultimate anxiety. Yes. Yeah. And the idea of that being flashed before us in near-death experiences has the potential to create that level of anxiety. 
So this person is probably feeling a lot of angst around the possibility of danger, the possibility of harm, the potential of what I knew to be safe turning on its head and it being unsafe, whether that be hypervigilance, whether that be rumination about the issue, whether that be flashbacks of a near-death experience, whether that be checking and checking and checking and checking and checking your loved one to make sure everybody's okay, right? Or just creating some level of security and control in your life so that you can maybe like stay away from that possibility. It is extremely difficult. And so how we cope with that is the very thing that we don't want to do, we must surrender. Surrender to our frailty. Surrender to the finiteness of life. Surrender to the lack of control around what might happen, how it might happen, and when it might happen. And that sounds probably really unhelpful to a lot of people, (laughs) but it's also really important because it's the struggle with that thing that brings about anxiety and depression because it's impossible to know the unknown. So what do you say to yourself when you are surrendering? Because right now I'm just thinking, like even when you were saying surrender with the fact that, you know, you won't be here always, my stomach got knots because just always it's a triggering thing. So what does one say to themselves when they are in the process of trying to surrender to those thoughts and be at peace with that? Yeah, well, I think it's, it implicates how you want to live, right? Allow it to really give birth to this clarity and power around how will I live? How will I implement purpose and value in the moments that I do have? How do I let go of what I can't control, right? That means tears. That means breath works and letting my body come down to baseline. That looks like really, really stop thought stopping in moments where I'm ruminating, right? And then implementing this other you know, cognitive shift towards, all right, what will I want to do right now? I feel anxiety about my relative. Let me call them. Let me call them right now and talk to them and ensure that they're okay. Let me get clear about it through journaling, through writing down my fears, as well as balancing out that amygdala channel of terror, right? With the other options. What if they live? What if they thrive? What if we are okay? What if we will be safe? What if things are not exactly how the fear is informing me that it is, right? So balancing out that perspective with all of the ways that you are grateful for the reality that there is a safe landing to this thing, a good, happy ending to it. And so there are things that we can do to embrace the feeling, let it rush over us and come to a rested position, right? As we breathe through that surrender. And then now applying what it is that we do have control over, which is how we live. Yeah. And living in that. And living in that and doing it as many times as you need to over and over and over and over. So it's not really good to kind of just distract yourself from those thoughts. You have to process those thoughts. What we resist persists, right? What we try to master will master us. And so it's really important that we surrender to that shaking in our bones, terrified, you know, whatever that mourning and grief process looks like. Let's go through it. Let's cry through it. Let's breathe through it. Let's say the thing that we fear, right? Let's move toward it, right? 
And then also recognizing that it has an end. The boogeyman is huge underneath the bed in the dark, (laughs) right? (laughs) But when we turn on the light and we look under the bed, oh, I didn't know it was a little ladybug. I didn't know that, right? So as we get closer to it, we realize that it's not as nefarious as we believe that it is within our psyche or unconscious. We just have to become aware of that. Nice. So that leads me into asking a question. I mean, it's not on the list, but I have to ask this. I had a friend who died suddenly from a pulmonary embolism. I had a pulmonary embolism. That was a huge blood clot in my in my lungs and I survived. So there's times where I deal with, I guess it might be survivor's guilt or me saying, you know, God was has, is a miracle and God blessed me and he did. Because doctors were looking at me like, you shouldn't even be here. Like, this is crazy. And I wonder, like, so why did I make it and she didn't? So sometimes I struggle with that and it makes me a little nervous. You know, I don't know, you know, why or, you know, I've never really even spoke about this before. But that made me think, like, can I use those same coping skills and coping mechanisms when those thoughts come and make me anxious? Yes. In some way, you honor your friend by grieving the loss of that in light of your life, right? And that is maybe a reframe to the, why am I here and she's not, right? The idea of how can I be here because she's not? Oh my gosh, that is such a good one. Yeah. Yes, I had to just pause. I'm just, I just had to think like, yes. How can I be here because she's not? And releasing the responsibility that you had some control over either of those outcomes. Ooh. Right? Mm -hmm. That you did not. Right? Guilt says that we did something wrong. That you had responsibility in some way. There was a misplay, right? But in some way, there is a lack of control around both of those outcomes. And so we surrender to the idea that. There is something here for me in this moment, in this season, in my life. How will I take it? How will I give myself moments to grieve? Not to be in guilt, but to be in mourning. And so when guilt rises up, to be in mourning, to be conscious of the life that you are grieving, right? Not in that you had responsibility, but like, how do I even just allow that not to take the full space, right? Of like, Yes, this has happened and I'm sorrowful and I'm sad. How will I live? How will I be here? What can I do? How will I double that intent and purpose? Right? Not to live for her, but in some way to be informed by her death. Yeah, that's good. I mean, this is beautiful. And do you take Oxford? Do you take Blue Cross Blue Shield? I'm just like ready to sit on your couch. So, (laughs) and I'm sure that the listeners are like how they're going to be wanting to sit on your couch too, because so many people are looking for therapists right now. Okay. So the next question, how do I navigate mental health problems while training as a therapist myself? I know that's a I understand. (laughs) (laughs) I can raise a hand to that. Um, You know, I continue to be amazed and it 
doesn't wane my amazement of my own humanity as a therapist. I believe possibly our training does create this shadow on not lack of awareness, but it creates a shadow in focus on our client's humanity versus our own, which is needed for the work. But we might not pay as much attention to our humanity as we need to, right? And so reminding yourself of your humanity as a therapist and training is really valuable, right? Knowledge does not always mean or equal change, right? We know what to do in the process, but implementation really continues to pass through our humanity, right? Like how we implement has to still go through this portal of our capacity. And so knowledge does not make you immune to the challenges that you will experience as a human being, therapist or not, knowledge or not, training or not. And so give yourself space to be a human when you make a mistake, give yourself the same care and dispense the same level of unconditional positive regard that you give your clients to yourself, make it a practice, make it a practice. What does that look like? That looks like that's a high on the list of to-dos for you in your meditation, in your supervision, in your consultation, in the way that you even practice as you sit with your client's process and like what you plan to do. Think of yourself. Think of your experience. Think about how this is impacting you. That's a part of your training and that's a part of your work. Yeah. I hope that answered the question for whomever. Next one, and this is an interesting one. How can I support my 15-year-old son going through gender identity issues? That's a really tough one. Yeah, with love. With love, right? With love. We know that gender is a social construct, and so you are a part of this microcosm, which is a, a small network of social influence for this person. And so what will your influence be? reminding yourself of that. What will my influence be as a parent? What will the internalized message that your child will play for decades and decades and will become their own voice? What do you want that voice to be? That is how you will respond. Your words will become your son's personalized view of self. And so elevate love to be as unconditional as possible creating narratives, messages around that, right? Listen more than you comfort. Understanding is needed. We want to take away the pain of our children, right? That they never incur it at all, right? But be there when they fall instead of trying to prevent their fall, right? Guide them through life. Guide them through their life, not taking away their autonomy and independence. And so the biggest thing is to Remember that love and understanding will lead them to their own process, not by your design, but by their own. So I would imagine someone going through this, that there's a, some, a level of loss, a level of grief that a parent goes through, especially if a child is coming to them and saying, I don't feel like I am what I'm, what I'm supposed to be. Or I feel like, you know, I'm, I feel more comfortable identifying as a her than a him or a him than a her or a they. Is it fair for a parent to feel like they have to grieve 
You know what I'm saying? Like, because I'm just wondering, like, you know, like, is that fair? Where it's like some people are like, well, you shouldn't have to grieve who they were because that's your child. So why are you grieving them? They're just, you know, deciding. Yes, you get to grieve. Yes, you get to grieve because that child was also a child that you planned for, that you, you know, possibly carried, that you possibly had a lot of dreams for and hopes for and have just a full grown reality of who you believe they are in your head. Right. And so, for that to be grieved, I think is fitting and is fitting and appropriate for the love and depth that you had for that particular portion of your child. But to also remember that's a portion of your child. Your child is still present, hopefully, and they're alive and in front of you. What that looks like over time may change and you have to learn to discover your child, right? That your child is evolving into a human that you will have to discover and know you might feel like you know, but you don't, right? Giving them the permission to not know. You're a child, right? It's okay for you to be in question. It's okay for you to not know. It's okay for you to ask the question. And then also on the other side, we honor the ways that you do know and that you are clear. And, you know, based on what your understanding is, let's celebrate your capacity of knowing right now, right? A lot of pliability, a lot of flexibility that's required to support this child. Yeah, that's good. Second to last question. How do I know if my therapist is trying to get rid of me? I chuckle because I don't think we're ever really trying to get rid of you. (laughs) I don't know if that's the intention. Well, hopefully that's not the intention. We, you know, can sense when the relationship has served its purpose, maybe, or it's not working or we're gently trying to guide you toward your truth, right? And whatever that looks like. And if that truth is that this relationship is not serving you and it's, it is impacting your growth, right? So we are hopefully trying to usher you into that reality of your knowing through compassion and like space and connection. We're not trying to get rid of you. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think that therapists or clients can reach a plateau with their therapist? Oh, for sure. Therapy is a relationship. Relationships can be seasonal and for a time. Yeah. And sometimes you just might need to reach out to another therapist or, you know, a different kind of therapy or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Different type of work is important or you've graduated to a different need or something. Yeah, I agree. Because I asked because that is something that I have been saying and I love my therapist and I think she did a great job in helping me get to the place that I'm at. But now it's like time for me to be intentional about seeking out a black male therapist because of the horrible relationships that I had with black men. So, you know what I mean? Like, so cultivating a trustworthy relationship with a black male therapist, I feel like might help me to be able to be in a trustworthy relationship and feel safe with a black man. So I often was feeling bad, you know, that I reached this plateau with my therapist. And I don't even know if it's plateau because I might even could go back to her and still, you know, work with her. But I was just wondering, like, what a therapist's thought is on reaching a plateau with each other. Or with I'm smiling at you right now. They can't see that, but I'm, I'm smiling <laughs> at you because, oh, what great work and growth it takes to get to that point and to know that. Yeah. There's a lot of work that goes into that level of knowing, (laughs) right? That, you know, this relationship that has been maybe an incubator for me 
maybe I outgrown it. Oh, right. You know, that's a pretty deep level, right? I'm glad that you're there. And I would hope that your therapist will actually celebrate that when you tell them like, oh, yeah, I think she would. We still maintain relationship outside of the therapy. So I think she would. It just, you know, made me think that because I'm like, this person might not even, the therapist might might not be getting rid of, trying to get rid of her or him, whoever gave the question. It could be that they're both reaching this level where we can't do anything for each other anymore. I think we've gotten to a point where you've grown, outgrown this relationship. So that's why I wanted to ask that question. So next question, next and last question. It's a question that we all ask, and I don't even know that it is an answer to it. The question is, when will it end? And that's it. And I feel like. (laughs) (laughs) That's when will it end? And that's it. My answer to that. I was just going to say, I feel like we got, we want to know that for many things. We want to know when COVID's going to end. We want to know when, you know, when racism is going to end. We want to know when men are going to stop being men and doing men things. Uh, and men probably want to know women are going to stop doing women things. So just when will it end, Dr. Quia? What do you think it's about such that a, question? It's a broad question to give when it needs to. It will end when it needs to, when its purpose has come to fulfillment. And how do we find peace with that answer? Mm, really good question. Because when we say when it needs to, the next thing that comes to us is how. How do we find peace? How do I learn to be here? Very good question. Very important question. But can't come until we recognize that it has a purpose, right? Peace really, really looks like not the absence of pain. It is the awareness of capacity for what we need to have capacity for. There are things that are so big in life that they do not have your name on them. They're not your responsibility to make sense of, to find answers for, to level out. They're too big. And the stress comes in you trying to put your name on responsibility for something that is greater than you. And so we surrender to those things. But the things that we have capacity for, recognizing that we do, coming to full awareness that I can actually handle this, not all at one time by bit, right? Small pieces, right? And the piece comes in, I'm going to be okay. I am okay. So it will end when it needs to. And peace looks like you're okay until it does. Yeah. And just even if you got to keep telling yourself that over and over again, you know, I'm okay. I'm safe. Let's just stay in that. And I guess when you're in that place, it doesn't matter how long it's going on because you've just found the peace in within that storm. So the peace within. And so the storm or the problem, which I used to say when I was suffering with depersonalization, I would say, you're welcome to stay here however long you want to depersonalization. And I'm not resisting this anymore. I don't know when you're going to stop. I don't know when I'm not going to feel like this anymore. But while I'm in this, 
I'm just going to try my best to live my life as normal as possible, you know, and just it's a weird feeling. I feel like I'm in a dream, but I can still function. So I'm going to (laughs) function. I'm going to function and I'm going to push, you know, and if I'm feeling off or too off one day, I'm going to take a rest, but I'm going to keep pushing. So that's phenomenal. And I think you're phenomenal. And I just love your approach to therapy and talk therapy. It's so soothing. It's what everybody needs. And I'm always telling people you have to go to therapy. You must seek therapists and you must be intentional about therapists that you pick because of, you know, because of our racial issues and everything else. (laughs) We have to be very intentional about the people that we choose to care for our minds. And I feel like you are definitely one of those people who do a wonderful job and an awesome job in connecting with people and just making people feel validated and seen. And I just really hope that you come back and we can do this again and answer more questions. I think people would really, really love this. And yeah, like how can people find you on social? How can they find you? Do you have a website? Are you taking any clients? Because these are the questions that are going to be asked. I guarantee you. <laughs> guarantee yeah. you. Well, thank you for that, those kind words. You can find me on any social platform. I should say not all social platforms. Most social platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at Aquia K. Boaten, A-K-U-A-K-B-O-A-T-E-N-G. My website is the same, aquiakboaten.com. And I am often opening myself up to take coaching clients, therapy clients. I have a short waiting list, but I am often taking people off the waiting list and starting them. And so I'm open to seeing how we might be able to work together. That would be wonderful. I hope that people do reach out to you and just take our advice, yours and mine, that therapy is therapeutic. And don't ask me, ask the therapist. Because <laughs> I don't have the questions. And we hope and pray that Dr. Quia will come back and we can do a segment like this again and just answer questions and just, you know, have some hearts to hearts and really just be on this journey to healing our soul. So thank you so much, Dr. Quia. My absolute pleasure. 